Hey guys, what's up? It is week 199. I'm here to do some reviews for you. First, let you guys know that uh, we did a Cat 3 show on the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Uh, love Cat 3 movies. Haven't seen as many as I would like, but I'm going to talk uh, briefly about a couple of them during this video. It's kind of a short week. I don't have too many movies to talk about. Uh, I've been kind of busy over time, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and also keep your eyes out and your ears uh, open for the podcast Under the Stairs, Forgotten Jolly. I know one just posted of, um, it was the final one, the first in the the second box set my dear killer so check that out i guess we're going to hop into the reviews and the first one is from arrow video and this is shogun's joy of torture and uh this was actually made in 68 69 if i'm not mistaken and this director actually he's been covered a couple times on this show he's uh i, I always mispronounce names so i bought i shouldn't bother but i'm going to try it's tiro ishi um ishia or something like that um i feel really dumb every time i say an asian or italian name even though i'm familiar with the work i really should put uh, more of a time to learn how to say these things correctly. Um, so anyways, uh, this director did uh, Horrors of Malformed Men, which is kind of a infamous movie in Japan. He also did a couple other of these movies, which are, they're, it's, it's a strange series. There's like nine, eight or nine movies that are related in this series, and he directed the earlier ones, from my understanding. He did this one, which I think is the first one, Orgies of Edo, which is an anthology kind of torture film. Um, Inferno of Torture and Yakuza Law, which is a little bit different because it takes place, um, it's three stories about torture that take place over three different time periods, which I thought was really cool. All these movies open up with these crazy torture scenes that you're like, are these in the movie? Are these, but actually it's just kind of a precursor to the movie. This one has a really interesting structure, a nice wraparound, if you will. Uh, the first story involves uh, a story of a brother and sister who all they're all they have, and the brother is injured during an accident at work. He is crippled, and he she, uh, the sister can't afford the doctor bill, so a rich kind of guy pays for it, but he's not doing it out of the kindness of his heart, if you understand. So he expects something in return, but the brother is uh, deep infatuation and love for his sister, or very you know disturbing kind of stuff, and of course. Uh, tragedy strikes there's some torture sequences some revenge aspects and the ending is pretty pretty gnarly um there's going to be a little clip here so just listen if you don't want it spoiled but that ending is, is pretty pretty crazy and that's where they introduce the kind of wraparound character the manistrate um who's basically looking through these old uh the, these kind of books where he sees all these tortures and he's kind of starting starts to question the motives of these tortures and thinking that they're probably a little out of line so that's kind of the wraparound of the story that's the first story the thing with the anthologies is you kind of just run down what the stories are and then kind of give some oversight on everything for me. It's kind of a little difficult to talk about. But the second story is um, this one's pretty unique. Uh, it's kind of a nunsploitation, if you will, kind of deal. We have this story of this, um, these two, um, I, I believe it's a... Um, there, there's these kind of strange, like different nuns. I, I've never seen them like dressed like this, and I don't know too much about you know the history of you know Christianity and, uh, and not even Christianity, but all the religions and stuff. Because I think monks are different qualified. I think they're Christians. Yeah, Christianity in different countries and stuff. There's Buddhist monks too. So, what? Well, regardless, there's these uh, nuns that show up to this kind of isolated place, and nearby is a monastery. 
and uh, these two nuns have a relationship and uh, with each other, and pretty soon one of them starts to focus in on on one of the uh, younger men and is in completely infatuated with him. And she gets uh, something, holds something over his head, and starts to blackmail him for you know her her gains. But it all backfires in you know revenge and lust and jealousy and all that kind of stuff. And I thought this one was pretty good as well. And uh, there is some violence, especially for 1968. The thing about these movies is when you first start getting into like seeing all the different films and the crazy movies and everything like that, a lot of these ones are always brought up. Like, And they were hard to find. There was a, The Joys of Torture, Inferno of Torches, Orgies of Orgies of Edo, but there was also Shogun Sadism, which was the Joys of Torture Part 2. There was a slew of these movies, and they were always put on the kind of the crazy, disturbing list, and they were never very easy to find in America. So, like, Arrow putting these out is actually uh, really awesome to me, because I never thought I would get to see these in a good copy, and the imports were super expensive. So, finally getting to see this stuff was being made in the late 60s in Japan and stuff, and these weird, kind of long-gated torture sequences are, are wild. And then they would obviously be used in the Dakota erotic films movies like Flower and Snake and uh, Pinky films and all sorts of stuff so these are kind of like the beginning of it and I imagine that they predate earlier to other things like that and the final story in here is one, um, I should mention that in this final story, one of the characters from the end of the second story is brought in, um, and he, he kind of is in the end of that story, he's in the a character in this story too. This one follows a tattoo artist, and tattoo artists are completely different in this kind of time period, and in these films, they like kind of uh, tattoo a lot of these uh, women and everything like that, and a lot of them, the women were prostitutes, and they tattoo all over their bodies and everything like that. So these tattoo artists are very, take, take it very seriously in their art as, you know, kind of very important and one day this guy is tattooing um this this image of this woman being tortured on somebody and um the kind of war general or whatever says that's not how the agony is in their faces is a terrible tattoo so the tattoo artist becomes obsessed with capturing that agony and there's a nice twist on this one and i thought this one was really solid how it played out um yeah so it comes together pretty well i enjoyed this whole entire series i mean just holding all three of the anthology shorts and i think the last one probably has the best payoff although i think the the second one might be a little bit more up my alley um, in terms of content and the endings and all that kind of stuff. But all three are very good, and I would recommend checking this out. I'm going to pick up the back and cheat a little bit. I I, I just never, I, I when I don't, like I try to memorize all the features and the stuff I watched, I, I feel like I missed something, and I feel like that's a very unfair because there's a lot of hard work put into these. So there's an audio commentary by Japanese cinema expert Tom Mez, who's on a bunch of these Arrow releases. I know he's done some of the other ones, um, like uh, the Shinya, this took, uh, the Solid Metal Nightmares box set. See, I, <laughs> I didn't embarrass myself that time. And also there's an erotic grotesque uh, maestro uh, talking about the newly filmed interview with author Patrick uh, Masasi's uh, Massas, M-A-C-I-A-S-C, terrible. I have to hear her last names pronounced out loud once before I can uh, basically, you know, get them all. So um, I'm like Duncan McLeish on podcast on those stairs. Terrible, terrible names. But uh, yeah, so, and then there's also a Bind Torture Thrill. Author and critic Jasper Sharp discusses the history of torture in Japanese exploitation cinema. And I watched this one. I thought this one was really interesting. I've seen him pop up in a bunch of the other features. I want to say he was on the um, JSA special features as well. But he goes down and he talks about how pinky films had to be independent to be considered pinky films. So when people call these kind of torture films um, by the bigger studios like Toei and stuff, uh, pinky films, he's like, that's not really accurate. And I thought that was interesting. You learn something new every day. 
and I'm continuing on my journey of being a full-blown pervert and learning these things about these movies. But anyways, this is a very good movie. And he also mentions, like, I don't think that this was completely done seriously. I think there is somewhat of, you know, a tongue planted in the uh, firmly in the cheek, you know, somewhat or a little bit um, that these are kind of self-aware of how ridiculous they are. And they do feel uh, a little bit crazy and almost I don't want to say pulpy, but you know what I mean. Like, they aren't uh, 100%, like, uh, I don't feel like their intent is to just be completely cruel in any ways. But if you like Japanese films and you like the torture stuff and you like twists and anthologies, these are fairly interesting. This one was really good. But I'd recommend checking out all the ones that they put out so far. Orgies of Edo. And, and I can't remember Inferno and Torture. It's more of a elongated story, but I, I don't know if it's 100% anthology. But that one as well. And Yakuza Law and... Um, Am I missing any? Uh, Horse and Malformed Men is a very bizarre film and uh, definitely uh, acquired taste. But check out all his films. Arrow's doing a good job with these. And hopefully we get Shodun, Shogun Sadism and a couple of these other ones to finish out the whole series because I definitely want to check those out too. So yeah. Okay, this next one is from Full Moon Entertainment and this is The Hand That Feeds the Dead. And this stars the legendary Klaus Kinski. Um, we all love Klaus Kinski. Um, maybe not personally, but we all love watching Klaus Kinski. Let's put it that way. And it's directed by Sergio Garoni um, and uh, this guy did a couple of the Nazi exploitation movies some of the really sleazy cheesy ones and I, I can't to be honest, that's that's one of the hardest genres for me, the subgenres, to keep straight because they're all named like SS Hellcamp, SS Hellcamp Experiment, SS Helltrain. They're all the same titles, um, besides, of course, Ilsa. But when you get to the Italian ones and even the French Nazi exploitation movies, they all blend together. And besides, like Beast in Heat, because that's a different name. But, anyways, this director kind of dabbled in some of those uh, movies as well. He did spaghetti westerns. His name is, is kind of like uh, known in the uh, Italian exploitation genre so um the hand that feeds death I, I put this in and i was like man i'm having flashbacks to a lot of movies that i had watched recently um Klaus Kinski is married to a woman uh, whose father with the last name Rosimov, which I thought was really funny because Ivan Rosimov, you know, a uh, famous kind of uh, actor appeared in a bunch of these Italian horror films. But uh, Rosimov was her father. He's died. Klaus Kinski married the daughter and the father died in some kind of experiment gone wrong. And the daughter constantly is walking around in a black veil. You think maybe because she's... Um, you know, mourning the death. But uh, Klaus Kinski has some people come over to his, uh, basically a mansion, castle, kind of very gothic style thing. And we have what seems to be an eyes uh, without a face kind of going on where there's experiments and parts being taken for other things. And we kind of put two to two together. And, and after watching Castle of Creeping Flesh a couple weeks ago with the Howard Vernon and Eyes Without a Face uh, a while back, you're just like, yes, we're seeing all these kind of constant tropes of, you know, and, and even Dr. Fives, which we watched the sequel to that a while ago. It's, it's very much uh, that kind of film where we have somebody trying to correct or fix a loved one in a gothic mansion where people are being picked off. Surprisingly, um, this uh, Kinski performance is a little bit more reserved than I expected because when I see Kinski, I'm like, oh no, somebody, somebody's going to get hurt on set or in real life. But I feel like this is a little bit more reserved until the very ending where he has this really good kind of monologue with uh, a doll and he like kind of spills his guts out and everything like that. I thought that was fairly well done. I do think this one is a little bit uneventful for me. I like the reveal. I like, you know, 
this kind of storyline, but maybe I've been watching a little bit too much of these movies lately with the you know kind of experiments in a mansion, gothic stuff. I, I do typically enjoy these, but this one just didn't have enough oomph or difference to make it stand out for me, unfortunately. There's another movie that, that uh, Full Moon's putting out that is by the same director, made within released the same month with Klaus Kinski, with uh, the Rossimo family name in it called Lover of the Monster. These are two different movies. They're not related, uh, except that they're probably shot on the same set using some of the same scenes and all that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll probably be covering that one in the future. But uh, do not be confused. Uh, Hand That Feeds the Dead and Lover of the Monster are not the same film, and they're not sequels, although they sure seem like it because they both star Klaus Kinski and they use the same cast and the same sets and stuff, but it's not. Um, this one is in Italian. You cannot watch it in English, and I do typically like to watch my um, Italian movies dubbed in English because the actors on set that were English or spoke English or speaking their native languages, but we only have Italian, so yeah. And I'm not sure if there's even any American actors or English actors in this film anyways, but I know Klaus Kinski is not uh, um, Italian, so anyways, uh, check out The Hand That Feeds the Dead. I know he's not American either, so um, I thought they remastered it fairly well, and it looked really good, but um, it's just a little odd eventful for an Italian horror film for me, sorry. Okay, I'm going to be fairly brief with this one. Um, this is The Untold Story Part 2. We do cover on the 22 shots of moods and horror, so I'm going to be brief. I just want to talk about it on my channel because I don't think I'll ever get a chance to talk about this any other time except this show. So, um, yeah, this one I think was made fairly late. It's not the same director. Herbert Yao does not uh, direct again, but I think Danny Lee is producing. Um, it does star Anthony Wong again, but in a completely different role. It's not really a direct sequel or anything like that. None of the characters pop up but it does share a lot of similar themes and, and moments in here um Okay, so the plot is as follows. We have kind of a pushover husband who is, you know, I guess he he runs a restaurant and his wife is very pushy, uh, very highly sexually charged, but he does not care for her because she's so mean and she's constantly cheating on him. So he can, he's impotent with her. So she constantly badgers him, cheats on him. One day, uh, a cousin from um, the mainland China, they're in Hong Kong in this, decides to come over and stay with them. Immediately, the cousin starts to kind of pull her strings and seduce um, the owner of the restaurant and and that kind of stuff. Um, I love this because instead of having Anthony Wong be like the kind of crazy guy murderer, we have more of a villainess here and she's very sadistic and has these mental problems and her performance is great. Um, there's definitely a classism thing going here with um, against you know the mainlanders and the Hong Konger, Hong Kongers and you know, stuff like that. People from Hong Kong are kind of looking down on the mainlanders and there's a really great scene involving a bathroom moment which I thought was fantastic. Um, Wong's really fun in it. He's a cop. He kind of feels like he's reprising a role kind of like from a lamb from despair or any of the other kind of roles. Definitely kind of total opposite of his role in um, the untold story, more in line with, uh, you know, a baffling kind of idiot, um, you know, because I would say in Bullet Syndrome, he's, he's a bigger moron, although um, very violent and evil. But anyways, he's playing a completely different role here more of a comedic one. Um, yeah, I think this one's pretty decent. I enjoy it. It's filled with nudity and has a fair share of violence and a couple of the heavy hits that we have in the untold story, like cannibalism, restaurant stuff, uh, people being sent on fire. So yeah, check it out. There is an HD or Blu-ray out there from Yes Asia. It's very expensive to import. Um, but yeah, it's around $27.99 or $27 or something like that. If I had unlimited funds, I would be importing all the Cat 3 movies from there, including Robotrix and Erotic uh, you know, Stories 
Chinese or what Chinese? What is that one called? There's a whole series of them. But anyways, check out Untold Story. I'll probably throw some clips. Uh, part two. I'll probably throw some clips in here. And there is an Untold Story Part three, which I think is less graphic than the other two for sure. Um, the first Untold Story is a masterpiece. This one's good. It has a lot of uh, shoot. You know, it has to live up to a lot. But I still think it's pretty pretty good so check it out okay next on the slate is ebola syndrome and uh, i actually watched this on itunes apple tv has i believe the uncut version because i double checked on my dvd of um the untold story to rent or buy uh, so yeah i definitely watched it a 4k uh master or whatever remastered on itunes or apple tv but uh, ebola syndrome is uh the follow-up, directed by Herbert Yao uh, to The Untold Story, made in 1996, starring uh, Anthony Wong, of course. Um, geez, boy, oh boy. Um, this is definitely trying to recreate the magic of Untold Story. It has very similar opening um, in the past, and a criminal escaping and fleeing to a different place, and child murder, and all that kind of stuff. Like, semi-accidental start of a killing spree with child murder. All that kind of. But um, this is a really weird movie. So, Anthony Wong plays a criminal... Um, some pretty pretty similar to the character he played in um the untold story he ends up committing an, a murder and flees to south africa from hong kong and while he's in south africa he ends up getting a job at a restaurant um the funny thing is he smells horrible so everybody always comments on how bad he smells and um Soon enough, he decides to, when they go to pick up some uh, pigs from a tribe, uh, just to get a better price on it, there's an Ebola break, uh, outbreak, and he gets separated from his boss, and he decides to rape this poor dying woman on the side of the river. He contracts Ebola, but um, he does not understand, or he does not know that he is like the one in 10 million people that is immune to it and is spreading Ebola. So we have this psychopath, crazy person, who ends up going on this crime spree killing spree that is spreading Ebola wherever he goes so we have this kind of a the double exploitation or triple exploitation angle here like where the exploitative things of Ebola so people are paranoid about Ebola which was kind of interesting to watch this during you know COVID-19 times then we have the horrible murders that he's committing and rapes and stuff and high sexual content and then on top of that we have the whole restaurant people being fed other people deal that we had from Untold Story so Anthony Wong in this is absolutely great um, he's in Insane, um, almost a little bit more comedic than his role in the first one in, in Untold Story. But um, I, I must admit that uh, it was kind of, I don't know if it's a translation issue. I can't think it, it necessarily means bowling or bowling has a different kind of meaning in, in um, Hong Kong or uh, China. But he keeps calling that everybody's bullying him, and he's just like a complete sociopath and will not take responsibility. He he justifies everything he does. But um, there there's uh, without spoiling too much, this one does get really graphic with the murders and the rape and stuff. I would say Untold Story. I don't know. This one's more insane. I would think because at the end climax of uh, what happens here is just completely bonkers, and you would never expect something like this to you know ever happen in a movie today. Um, regardless, I've always enjoyed this one. This is a, a rewatch. I, I think Untold Story is a better film, probably because this one feels so much like it's trying to recreate everything that happened in Untold Story. But uh, if I can get more Untold Story, I, I am very happy. But uh, there is some unintentional comedy, comedic moments, like especially when the Americans are speaking in English. They're so they're like obviously dubbed, and it just sounds really poor. But uh, that kind of stuff. But um, Anthony Wong is such a sleazebag in it. And at this one point, he goes incognito, and he's wearing this stupid mustache, and it's it's just a hilarious movie and very gross 
gross at the same time where you're like, oh, because you know he has Ebola and you're just waiting for him to spread it and everything like that. But check this one out. Um, I've always enjoyed it. I would, I, I, um, it's a crazy, crazy movie. And I hope it gets a Blu-ray release stateside. It's definitely in, uh, in need of it. More Hong Kong movies on Blu-ray. Okay, the next one is one I watched on Shutter. It's a 2020 movie and it is The Queen of Black Magic. And this is a remake um, from one from the 80s, an Indonesian film. And I know that one uh, is also aka Black Magic 3 and a lot of people are saying, well, it's part of a series. And I don't know if that's 100% accurate, to be honest. I think that it probably was just released in a different country as Black Magic 3, probably as a sequel to or trying to cash into a sequel to the Shaw Brothers films, uh, Black Magic and Black Magic 2. So if anyone knows the exact details on this, I feel like that's probably more accurate that they just used the Black Magic name and we're like, we'll call this Black Magic 3. I don't know if it's 100% true or if there is an entire series dedicated to this, but I've heard that a couple times and I just can't see it because so many of these movies that are released in different territories just take a, a sequel name to get recognition or anything like that. So I don't know if this is related. Maybe it's the same production company, but I don't know if this one, the original Queen of Black Magic, has anything to do with the Shaw Brothers, one being Indonesian and one being, you know, Chinese and stuff like that. So anyways, I just thought I'd point that out because I've been hearing that a few times. But I've never seen the original Queen of Black Magic. It is on Shutter right now and I have the Mondo Macabro DVD. Um, hopefully it gets a Blu-ray release. I, I, it might. It's a good chance. But so anyways... Uh, the Queen of Black Magic. This is written by Joko uh, Adwar, who uh, directed Saint and Slaves and Impetigore, which were both fantastic movies in the last few years. And it's directed by um, one of the chemo and uh, uh, geez, the, the guys that were involved with stuff like The Night Comes for Us. Um, they both branched off and are doing their own movies now, it seems. But it's directed by um, not the one who did uh, the, the most recent one directed stuff. But um, yeah, I, I can't think of which one it is, to be honest. It's chemo, the the chemo i can't remember their name sorry about that but uh regardless um the other one did that made the devil take you and made the devil take you too so the queen of black magic i put this in and i had heard some reviews here and there mostly positive so i figured i'd enjoy this this is definitely up my alley because like i said i like these um you know foreign supernatural movies because they take a different approach to the ghost story or to the possession or to you know magic typically we don't have any very many American horror films with magic or dealing with that kind of stuff, um, except maybe like The Witch, which is it's kind of witchcraft, different kind of deal in general. But um, this one is, uh, is, is super, uh, super bizarre. But it's very typical of the movies we've seen by them before. So, uh, anyways, we have this uh, or these uh, these people that grew up in an orphanage and they become like a family unit. There's three, four of them. One still lives at the orphanage with his wife. They're all married. They all have families of their own, and they all kind of head back to honor the dying person that used to run the orphanage that they look to as like their main father figure. So they end up showing up to this orphanage, and you know you can see the different. There's a lot of character development. You kind of learn who these characters are. Learn about you know their imperfections and the. Stuff that they're you know kind of worried about and, and as it goes on um, there's a story told about this there's this picture shown about this woman who used to live there who died under unfortunate circumstances and uh, one of the young boys learns the legend of it and everything and learns that there's home video of her and that that plays into one of the best scares I've seen in a very long time involving a television set and the reflection when it shuts off that's a fantastic scare really genuinely well done so anyways strange things start to happen when they uh, find a bus on the side of the 
the road with some horrible stuff in there, which I was kind of shocked was in there, although I'd heard about it. And uh, of course, there's nasty bugs, including centipedes crawling through people's mouths and orifices and uh, manipulating them and true body horror. Uh, most of that stuff, if not all of it, is CGI, but I think it looked fairly decent and it made my skin crawl and it was fairly gross. Um, but there's some really gnarly stuff in here. I liked the story. I liked how it unfolded. These ones usually do have a huge reveal where it's not as it seems and do it does it really well. Like the isolated location, like the characters, no complaints, really solid, creepy horror film couple of the best scares I've seen in a very long time and that TV scare has to be one of the best TV scare I've seen since like um, The Ring maybe and a lot of people are like oh that's that's a lot of praise but it, I, it really got me I did not expect it but uh, yeah there's some some gnarly nasty stuff in The Queen of Black Magic recommended good stuff check it out okay the next one is the Patreon pick from my friend Dan the Cameraman and he picked Disconnected by um, uh, Gorman Belchard um, who did Psychos in Love this is 1983 this is before this still stars Carl Carmen Capianco, R.I.P., very great guy, very funny, uh, always loved him. But Disconnected, I'm glad Vinegar Syndrome got a chance to put this one out. Um, a long time, this one was never got released. I think at one point it was supposed to be put up by um, Rare Flags or um, Media Blasters, and then it was kind of canceled, and everybody's like, ah, oh, man, that sucks. Because I've always been wanted to check it out, and it's an early, kind of billed as an early slasher film, but it's super bizarre. Okay. You can see like the makings of Psychos and Love in here, some of the comedic beats, but mostly the weird kind of interview structure they have at points. So um, there's this girl who's in a relationship, and she's kind of she has a twin sister, and her twin sister's always kind of getting involved with the relationship and ruining it. She works at a video store, and then one day this kind of young, very polite but very strange man comes in and asks her on a date, and right off the right off the bat, you're like, this guy is crazy. Um, Earlier in the film, though, she had this weird interaction with an older man who asked to use her phone. And ever, a, a, right after that, there's just these fo weird phone calls after she meets both these people. So you're like, they have to be related, this old man, this guy coming into her shop. And she starts to get these strange phone calls. And they, they kind of show their cards a little bit on some of the twist here where they show that that guy is a killer. So you're basically just waiting for this, uh, this, this thing to happen. But... What's cut in here a lot is the police trying to help her out and everything with Carmen. Well, they're trying to look for the, not, not necessarily helping her out yet, but they're trying to look for the killer and everything like that. So we're cutting to them. And there's these funny bits of, of Carmen eating like this sub and making, it almost seems like improv. He's like, this sub's terrible. And it's like, so it tastes like somebody had already eaten it and just stuff like that I love. And I love the kind of like interviews with them because they use it in Psychos and Love and it, it's freaking perfect in that. But uh, the interviews and stuff and him just kind of talking about his inner monologue and there's these kind of offbeat jokes too. They're like, why do you dress like that? Because he's wearing a white shirt. He's like, why, do you, why are you asking me that? It felt so natural. I, I love seeing that. Um, just always wish that he was in more films. So when I see him in films, I'm always excited. So um, it, there is some murder sequences in here. Obviously, this killer has a sexual thing with the kills and everything. And the twin sister aspect is a bit cheesy, but I guess it's, uh, you know, understanded. And like I said, there's some sex scenes. But another thing that really kind of interested me, it's not like a gore fest. These special effects aren't fantastic or anything. And it doesn't have the humor that Psychos in Love has. But um, it has some decent camera work for a low-budget film. I think this was shot on 16. It looks very grainy and, and cheap, which is an aesthetic I like. But the thing that really stood out to me was the music. And the music was actually good. It was really good. It was really catchy. Um, they used it at the right spots. And it also has like a 15 minutes. You think the movie's done. 
but it's not. And there's some more twist, and you realize that it's not just such a straightforward horror film as you, you thought it was. Um, there's some special features on here. There is the director, an older short part of it at least, I believe, on here. There's an introduction with uh, Carmen and Gorman, and then there's an interview with Gorman where he talks a little bit about the movie, not wanting to release it necessarily, and then there's an interview with Carmen too. And he mentions that people would always come up to him at conventions and be like, what about Disconnected? When's Disconnected? And they were very shocked that people still really liked it. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice release from Vinegar Syndrome. I would check this one out if you haven't seen it. If you like Psychos and if you love Psychos in Love, you'll like Disconnected. It's not in tone, but you can see kind of like, you know, a little bit of the stuff starting before, you know, getting kind of Psychos in Love on the right track to be made, which I, I love the movie. It's, it's definitely on my alley. But yeah, Disconnected. I did enjoy it and I'm glad I watched it. At first, I was like, I don't know about this. And then the music, you don't love me. I was like, I, I started really enjoying it and I, I would check this one out. So yeah, disconnected. And, and, um, like I said, I do like cheap looking movies. So this one was totally up my alley. Okay, now we're going to hop into Survive 05, um, and this is The Skeleton Key, which I think I saw parts of this when it was originally released, and I just, I couldn't remember everything about it. I know the story is that this one was released kind of around the same time as Katrina, and it kind of took some slack because it was a down south kind of hoodoo voodoo story, and I guess people really didn't want to see that kind of thing at the time. So we have this this young girl who is, you know, she works in like uh, old person facility taking care of old people. She has like this backstory with you know kind of feeling like she neglected her father so she's always constantly trying to make up for that and fix the problems that she had so she takes this job kind of in an isolated like southern mansion taking care of an old man played by john hurt and uh he has to she has to deal with his wife who's very weird and superstitious played by gina rollins which blew my mind she was in this and um uh, so basically that's what happens at first and right off the bat you know something's fishy because John Hurt can't talk and then she starts to kind of like do some snooping and it kind of starts to understand that something happened in the attic and she's looking into everything and there's this this old story about these uh, these slaves being killed for dabbling in magic and all this kind of stuff um, and I think that this one would get better on a rewatch um, right right away because you would start picking up on a lot of cool details and you're like, oh, they set that up really well and it's much more sinister than one would actually expect it to be. And the ending is really dark and really twisted. The setting's great. Um, I love these kind of southern gothic horror films. Um, the acting is really solid, especially by John Hurt and Gina Rollins. And there's a lawyer character. And I will say everything with the lawyer is super telegraphed. It's, it's very obvious. He's a very obvious character. And that is kind of one thing where you're like, okay, we know exactly where this is going with him. And it's kind of iffy on that. But everything else I thought was really great. I thought the acting was great. I thought that this backstory with her was a little bit very kind of, you know, Hey, it is what it is, but they kind of needed to set up why she would care so much about these characters. Um, anyways, it's a really dark ending, and it's twisted and different, too. And I think that this one probably would have got more love in 2020 than it did in 2005. But Skeleton Key, I would be very surprised if this wasn't on at least two or three people's top ten list of the year. Um, it certainly deserves to be. It's a very good movie. It's just not exactly up my alley because I am a trash bag person, and I like trashy things but uh this is objectively one of the better movies of the year um it's just uh i like it it's just um i don't know if it will be gracing my top 10 um but objectively it, it's probably one of the best um but i'd rather you know watch stuff like um uh chaos 
<laughs> from last week, right? Okay, um, diving into more Survival 5. Speaking of trashy films, we have Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects. Um, okay, you know, like last week, it was the thing with Serbian film where it's like, oh, just put the thumbs down. Okay, I'm a Rob Zombie fan. I've enjoyed his music. I've enjoyed most of his movies, except, you know... 31 <laughs> and uh i don't love the uh, the three from hell i think it's okay so here we go um i i feel like i know a lot of people complain it's like you got to talk about every single rob zombie thing when you talk about rob zombie and that is obviously a thing but let me just say this very quick i think if rob zombie didn't touch the um halloween re movies he'd probably get a lot less hate when just his uh, his name on a halloween remake it rubs people a lot of uh, in a really bad ways. But, um, okay, The Devil's Rejects is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. It's completely different in style and tone. This, instead of kind of being like the trippy horror movie thing, it's more of a almost on-the-run uh, western-looking style, gritty 70s exploitation movie, which is totally up my alley. I love the look of it. And I know how I constantly complain about the editing of, you know, 2005 movies, but for some reason, the editing in this movie really works for me the freeze frames and the and there's also an uh, element of slow motion and immediately when i think of slow motion and shootouts and kind of the freezing the frame and hearing the gunshots and all that kind of stuff although it's not as well done as the master sam peckinpah it definitely reminds me of that and um you guys know how i feel about the wild bunch and bring the head of alfredo garcia and a couple other of his films i think they're masterpieces i love them so when we see this opening shootout in the very beginning and i'm not saying it's as good as the wild bunch so don't put that in my mouth you know i'm not saying it is but that kind of almost uh, that freezing and i said that weird style the style of editing for somehow it works in 2005 in this movie and like i know that people will be like but is there much difference between the editing and feast and death tunnel and i do think there is i think those are more jarring and, and whip pan like editing cuts in the middle and that is here too but for some reason i think maybe the camera works a little bit better and i think maybe it gives you time to get into that intense moment i don't know i maybe i'm being a hypocrite and i was just nitpicking those movies uh, unfairly i don't know sometimes i think that people do that and they 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 refuse to say that they're doing that and just stand their ground and die on that hill and be hypocrites but i will admit sometimes people can be hypocritical maybe i am here and there very wish-washy today right so um i am a big fan of it uh basically the fire fan clan is on the run and leading this charge to track them down is william foresight whose brother was um tom tolls from the original so he's got this kind of vendetta against them and his character arc is really interesting because he kind of is this mean kind of sheriff um somewhat likable to be honest in the very beginning but he's he's saying to himself i'm walking the line brother i'm walking the line but uh he definitely wants to get this revenge and as you start to see this kind of turn in him and more vile and more violent and and everything when he goes after this clan and we see the clan uh otis uh baby and captain spaulding together uh, start off as monsters and they're always monsters and they're always bad people but you start to add these human qualities in them while you take away human qualities from sheriff wydell so um i always like that um i like that it, it's shot the way it is i like where it's shot i think that there's you know it just looks gritty and nasty and it looks kind of like a western which i'm a 
sucker for. And another thing that I absolutely adore about it is the character actors. This is a movie where we get kind of great character actors like William Forsythe, who is a totally underrated actor. Um, he's always fantastic in everything he's done. He's been in a lot of big movies from The Frickin' Rock, Virtuosity, but uh, Once About a Time um, in America. Um, geez, he's fantastic in Dear Mr. Gacy and Dick Tracy. Um, things that do in Denver when you're dead. He's one of these guys that I don't register as one of my favorite actors until I start naming the stuff he's in. And I'm like, no, he is a fantastic actor and he is truly terrifying in Dear Mr. Gacy. It's one of the most uncomfortable performances I've ever seen given as a serial killer. But he's so good in this movie. Um, he's captivating and scary and just great. But uh, it's a, it's a, it takes these character actors, like I said, William Forsythe and Jeffrey Lewis, who is so good in this movie. I remember when I was watching this film um, back in the day, this is in 2006 or so, I was watching it in the living room and my dad walked in. I was just like 18, 19. And my dad's like, he saw some of the violence in it, and then he saw Jeffrey Lewis, and he's like, what's he doing in this? Because, you know, my dad watched the, you know, the Clint Eastwood movies like, um, geez, High Plains Drifter or anything back in Jeffrey Lewis popping up in, like, Cold Pepper County. I'm sure my dad's seen a lot of westerns with Jeffrey Lewis, so when he saw him, he's like, what's he doing in this? Kind of shocked that he was in this nasty movie, and I always got a kick out of that. But uh, he's fantastic in it as this kind of uh, traveling band along with Lou Temple and uh, the, the, the what's the one lady? Uh, Priscilla Barnes. And, and, and they're just fantastic together and Brian Posey as their frickin' a roadie. So like I said, it has these classy character actors and like, I don't, I, I guess Jeffrey Lewis isn't super classy being in stuff like 10 to Midnight, but uh, like, and William Forsythe. And then it mixes in like the character actors that I loved growing up, like Michael Berryman and um, Sid Haig and Ken Forey. And of course, then we have Tom, I mean, uh, Tom Tolles is in here as well, one of my all-time favorites, and, and she's Bill Mosley, and I know a lot of people complain about Sherry Moon Zombie. I like her, and she's one of these characters, you know, I know a lot of people are like, always complain about the people putting their wife in the films, whatever, I've always enjoyed her, okay, and honestly, um, when you're put in that position, would you not do the same thing? Probably would, I bet you would, but hey, uh, you're not, so you're mad at it, um. I'm sorry. And I know that there is a legitimate group of people that can't stand Rob Zombie's movies. And I, I, I understand. I, I know that not everyone's doing it just to be different or just to stand out. But I truly do like most of his movies. And this is my favorite of the bunch. Um, there's some really disturbing stuff in here, uh, to be honest. Uh, and there's one moment where I'm like, bullshit, bullshit. Um, if you're ever kidnapped by a people at gunpoint and they kill one of you right away, fight for your life. Because if they kill one of you, they're most likely not going to let you live, right? But they, if they're crazy, you never know. But still, after after a character is shot point blank in the hotel room, that's when I stand up and get shot right at the right then. I'm getting wasted right on the spot because I'm not never let them tie you up. Henry Zabrowski, last podcast left. Never let them tie you up. Never, never. That's good advice. Never let them tie you up. But uh, anyways. Uh, the ending also ends with a fantastic use of Freebird, which is so on the nose. Like, you're so on the nose. Like, the redneck anthem and Freebird, and you're just like, um, I'm enjoying watching these trashy people. Are we really... I don't want to say all rednecks are trash. You don't... I'm just saying. You know what I mean? It feels like it's on the nose to put Freebird in that movie. And you're just like, come on now. Or, but it works. And I can't believe it works. And I know a lot of people are upset that they made a sequel to this. And I just watch this as if I stand alone when I watch it. I don't think of the sequel. To be honest, I do. I, I just, I'm not thinking the three from hell. I, I just not. Um, so uh, I, I feel like I take it that way. 
But, and also another thing that really helps this movie, it truly does, um, and Tarantino is excellent at it too, is needle drops. He gets, he, he's so popular that he has that connection or that um, he can get to, you know, independent, you know, record labels, not independent. He's not like independent people where they can't use the music they want. So Tarantino can drop these great songs in needle drops. And Rob Zombie has that tie to the, you know, the music industry. So the the soundtrack here is fantastic with the Allman Brothers and Joe Walsh and all sorts of stuff like that and the freaking Leonard Skinner just lots of big like needle drops that fit perfectly to the time and they work really well in that kind of southern kind of that way so I know that there's probably a lot of people that adore this movie and there's a lot of people that hate this movie and there's a lot of people that I think like it but are probably embarrassed to like it and I don't want to say that this because every movie's going to have a fan base that not necessarily everybody loves but I could see like I don't want to sound like I'm talking down on anybody or anything, but I could see a lot of snooty people saying they are scared to admit they like this because they know that uh, a lot of us uh, regular folk like it too. <laughs> they like, and they probably think that regular folk like it for negative reasons. Like, ah, I love them, the rapist killers, and it's just like I don't know. I just find it really interesting in the aspect that uh, we're taking this cop who is really somebody who lost somebody he loves and is trying to do the right thing turning him into a monster and we're taking these criminals who are awful awful monsters and turning them into a likable and and obviously the turn is a 2d free scene um sid hag is great in this this is one of his finest moments um love sid hag and two i don't i don't think bill mosley and sid hag have ever been better I'm going to be honest. And, and the interactions between Ken Forey and Sid Haig are, are some of my favorite moments. They're so good together. Like the chemistry is through the roof with them. Um, but no, I, I just, I, I really like this. And I I do not like some of the CGI knife and stuff. But um, I, I that scene with uh, Baby and uh, Jeffrey Lewis, Roy, and he's like, say that again. It's just so dead on, like for the kind of old kind of guy to do that kind of deal. Um, I really could see somebody doing that. Um Oh, my wife's in that room. Uh, just, I love this movie. And the way Otis, um, he, before he takes out and kills somebody, he literally, emotionally, like, degrades and destroys Roy before he's going to physically destroy Roy. He says, do you like this song? And he says, I thought you were a tough-as-fuck country guy. You ain't nothing but a cowboy. And you're just like, wow. That's just such a cruel bet right there. You know what I mean? And it, it shows that his uh, he, he's, he's an evil bastard. Uh, also, I, I do like how they kind of reused the line from the Manson family. They switch it around a little bit. I'm the devil. I'm here to do the devil's work. Um, originally, supposedly, Tex Watson said, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. So, um, obviously, a tie-in there. But anyways, uh, the editing style reminds me a bit of Natural Born Killers, um, which I'm a sucker for, which is so weird that I love Natural Born Killers editing, but I get a annoyed by 2005 editing hypocrite i'm a hypocrite uh so uh yeah anyways i love the devil's rejects i know it's not everybody's cup of tea um and i it's just like i know people are probably like dave you're, you're really you're losing it man you're like you love chaos you love devil's rejects you love serbian film what's next you know i'm gonna come on and be like i i love cuties it's my favorite oh, i'm kidding i didn't watch cuties uh not that i care if people watch them that's not my business i'm just not interested but uh anyways devil's rejects uh love it sorry not sorry <laughs> all right we're here for a blind spot and this is one of your picks. Yeah. And this is It Came From Outer Space. With a deadly pace. Yeah. No, stop it. That's This is the last. <laughs> is this actually the last of the songs? I think it is from it the Rocky Horror. It might be. Because I got picked. Martin and... Yeah, you have Martin and... No, you have Arsenic and Old Lace, too. Oh, yeah. 
I'm Probably have another to one. one. Next week, before I forget, is The Hour of the Wolf, which is my pick. Um, yeah. Bergman movie. So, it came from outer space. This was, what, 51, 52? Something like that. This know. is before. This is Jack Arnold, who did Tarantula, Creature from Black Lagoon, and The Incredible Shrinking Man. All really good movies. I've always loved The Creature. It's my favorite mon- universal monster. And Incredible Shrinking Man I saw as a kid on television and always loved it. That was the original Ant-Man as yeah. told by my drunk As dad. told by your drunk father, <laughs> as we remember from the rest of the blind spots. Yes. So do you want to give the plot on this one since you picked it? Yeah, so um, they're aliens and they come from outer space. Okay, we have a middle-aged, uh, <laughs> some sort of middle-aged scientist, typically with a young, uh, beautiful girlfriend. Uh, there's a meteor that crashes. They go to check it out, which is very 50s style. Um, it's in a desert community, of course, which is almost all these, like them or Tarantula. Yeah. Then later, the kind of homages, like Tremors, would do that. So they go to check it out. He discovers that with beneath kind of the rubble in the mountain, it's not a meteor, right? Just a typical, I don't know the differences in a meteor, and then it's a meteor right when it enters the atmosphere. Sorry, guys. but um, I do believe that it's a meteor when it's in the sky, and when it lands on the ground, it's meteorite. Because it went through our atmosphere, something like that. So, so regardless, uh, he discovers that it's not actually just that. It's a ship, and there's these weird creatures that come at you in 3D, which we did not get to watch it in 3D, unfortunately, but it is supposed to be in 3D. So uh, he basically tells everyone, and typically no one believes him. Um, These aliens are up to something we don't know, and there becomes the 50s paranoia that we all love from Invasion of the Body Snatchers or any other science fiction movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Classic 50s paranoia ensues. Mm -hmm. They end up, like, the aliens can look like you, um, because they only made one costume, and they don't want to make multiple. If I was a perfect replica, how would you know I was me? What is that's that? That's the thing. Oh. <laughs> so that's the ver- not verbatim, but close enough. So it's kind of like that. A body snatchers kind of story, but which was later. Body yeah. snatchers was fifty six, and um, the thing was obviously the original thing might have been around the same time, but I don't think they took identity in that. Like the best the, version of the thing. Stop is for Express. We know you've said it a thousand times, but um, anyways, uh, this is very typical, but it is a little bit early um, in that mm-hmm. cycle. So I, I got to give it props for that. I would actually say that this is an atypical one, actually. Would you? Um, I would. Well, one, this is a, a what's his name, Ray Brad- Bradbury? Oh, yeah, Ray Bradbury. It is a Ray Bradbury Which kind of blows story. my mind. Um, more like... The Halloween tree and something wicked this right. way comes up the more popular of the... In this one, um, you know, it, it doesn't like necessarily have like those Ray Bradbury elements, but there, there are like like small aspects of it. For one, the, the main character is kind of like... A, an outcast of society. He lives alone in the desert. He's flirt, or you know, he has a relationship with like like the town cutie. Um, but they also look at him like he's crazy. Right. He's an eccentric yeah. scientist, and and of course, uh, no and, one believes him. Right. Well, it's not that no one believes him. It's just that the town doesn't understand what he is or what he's trying yeah. to do. And and the sheriff at one point states like, "Listen, nobody here likes you. Nobody here understands you. Therefore." They're afraid of you. So, and, and that's exactly the kind of story that happens with the aliens. Right. And and then when the aliens come, um, their whole thing... Because they are benevolent aliens, and it's a pretty... So we think. Right. So we think. Um, and, and their whole shtick is, look, we just want to leave your planet. We would ask for your help, but we don't trust you. You wouldn't understand us, therefore you would despise us. And it's a, it's an age old story. Yeah. Too. You envy us, and what you envy, you destroy, and they don't understand them. That's a little different, but still, it's right. a similar. You don't understand it. It's different. They're right. scared of it. And you know, but you know, I would say that it's atypical in the sense that um, 
you know, especially for like a lot of these movies, it's, yeah, they are different, they are terrifying, we have to destroy them. This, I think, caused him to question that mentality. Well, I think it's very in line with The Day the Earth Stood Still. Very much so. Well, Day the Earth Stood Still is... Well, no, it's honestly like, if you listen to us, we'll save you, and you'll be saved, but we can't have you destroying the rest of the planet. Therefore, we have this fail-safe mechanism that if you fuck up, it's over. If you fuck up, you enter a police state. It's kind of like Dr. <laughs> Strangelove. Like, we had the missile thing, but it's a, if you don't tell anyone about it, Dimitri... Wait, it, what's a... Uh, oh, man, don't make me do the quote because I can't recall this one. There's no fighting the, the, anymore. The, well, no, 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 not that one. I can't think of it. Oh, well, maybe so next You missed time. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like this one. It is like, I guess you're a little, it's a, a little ahead of its time, but it, it has all those 50s qualities where everybody's overly friendly, hunt, like howdy doody, like, hello friend, how's it going? Everybody I'm having a great other. day. And they're always smiling and laughing and good natured. They all got one syllable names. They all wear their driving gloves. <laughs> um. <laughs> Even in the shower. That's the most obscure joke no one else Right, no one else get, gets that. Maybe ever. one person watching this. <laughs> the it. one who made it. Yeah, you might not watch it. <laughs> made so, but anyways, uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I wasn't super happy, like in love with it, but like I got to give it props for being earlier than a lot of the other sci-fi movies that I was thinking of. Um, it doesn't ever really capture the intense paranoia that like I think it wants you to go for. Not intense, but the, the doubt, you know. I think it's going for that a bit, but I it, never felt it was... Yeah, I, I don't know if this... If this is to make that paranoia. I, I think that it does, you know, throw in, like, like that idea of doubt because the main character believes the aliens and everybody else in the town is like, eh, maybe you shouldn't. Well, like, he sides, he feels related to them he because does he's feel the outcast. And also, well, there is that thing, too, where they're outcast, they uh, can take our shape, we don't know who the... They would say this in Vision Blast. Hey, we don't know who the communist is. Right. We don't know who the... You know, that kind of style. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But it's it's a similar how they say the tropes of the slasher movie. They threw those things on there and those rules. And it only kind of applies to the 50 science fiction movies, too. Right. But but I think that the, the stronger point in this one is, like, it isn't so much the paranoia. I think it's more the trust. Because they, when the aliens, like, take the shape of someone, they... They take the other person, they keep them hostage. And, like, at, you know, at one point, of course, they get the guy's girlfriend. And it's not like, you know, oh, are you my girlfriend or not? It's more like... Is my girlfriend okay? Is my girlfriend okay? If I leave you alone, will you return to her, yeah. or like, return her to me unharmed? And it's, it's that trust. It's scary of having doubt. fate, you know? Right. Like trusting somebody you and, don't really know that you feel is the right thing to do. Right. And, and the, you know, the sheriff, you know, like, makes a, makes a great point. He's like... Listen, I don't want that responsibility. We'll do it your way. And then, of course... Um, it backfires. It backfires. I mean, they had that whole thing about 92 degrees. Um, is it at 92 degrees? Like, is when people snap. It's like more... Oh, yeah, that's a kill. great moment where he's like, more people are killed at 92 degrees <coughs> than any other temperature. And he speaks and he says, at anything cooler, people aren't as mad. And then he says, anything over 92, it's too hot to do anything. But right. 92 degrees is just the right temperature to be at upset right and and it, like, it, it's so true it I, is. I work in a hot environment i work like, at 911 <laughs> no controlled envi yeah no controlled environment so like if it's 90 i have to work so if it's over 90 degrees and humidity it's just, just snap you're yelling mm -hmm. at people people are you getting frustrated everybody's mad all the time and then usually with warm weather comes overtime and that kind of business so right. everybody's ready to kill each other but um 
you know what? I'm gonna, I bump this up. You know, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I like it a little bit more. And it's sci-fi movies always get better the more you talk about it, the more you think about it. Right. Like it, even like the newer ones and stuff. I would compare the characters to that of the Blob. Like, Very. Yeah. Expect, and then you have the deputy who really doesn't believe him, but he comes around. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I do like the movie, and it's it's a little ahead of its time than I would expect. So it's probably not my favorite Jack Arnold. No, um, I would put but... Creature. And Invasion of the Bo- uh, no, sorry, and uh, Incredible Shrinking Man above it. Right, I do Bye really fun. like Incredible Shrinking Man. I mean, the creature's perfect. Uh, and then, creature is a perfect film. And then Incredible Melting, I mean, Incredible Shrinking Man. She saw these in Melting, Shrinking. Right. Shrinking Man is, is a classic, too. That's a good one. Um, and then uh, Tarantula. I don't know if I like it more or less than Tarantula. I think it's better story than Tarantula. It is definitely a better movie than Tarantula, but I do feel that Tarantula is... Just well, Bug Boy was born from Bug Tarantula. Boy was born from Tarantula. Um, I don't know. And then the, there's the part where the Tarantula's peeking in the house that the girl changes, being all pervy, like pervy Tarantula, right? Like, like, okay, what are we That's doing? Let me grab <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, so it's not in Tear on Tape, but it is in John Stanley's Creature Features, as it should be. So here we go. It came from outer space, 1953. Five out of five. He gets a five out of five? Yes, okay. and uh, Jack Arnold obviously was one of the... I, would you say Pioneer? What you think about it? Like, I'm looking at all the sci-fi movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even with the Universal stuff. And before we begin, I think your rating is probably lower because we waited an hour for pizza, and that usually affects your rating. Stop it. <laughs> one of the finest science fiction thrillers of the 1950s, inspired by a Ray Bradbury outline that was modified for Universal International by Harry Essex. And originally released in 3D. Essex screenplay, while being among the first to portray ben- I always fucking benevolent. benevolent aliens, is also a plea for better understanding between races. This is Jack Arnold's best directorial work, for he captures the desert eeriness as bug-eyed aliens crash land their ship near astronomer Richard Carlson's isolated home. The ETs, dubbed xenomorphs, are giant eyeball creatures capable of assuming human forms. A fisheye lens is used to simulate... Uh, simulate the point of view of the creatures. Barbara Rush provides love interest, Charles Drake is the disbelieving sheriff, and Russell Johnson and Joe Sawyer are possessed telephone linemen. Known in the early stages as a meteor, atomic monster, and strangers from outer space. I did laugh hysterically. There's a, not laugh, but I thought it was really fun. This is the thing that clicked for me. I always knew that the Tremors and, you know, were throwbacks to the 50 sci-fi movies, but when the guy was on the power line up there and he was like, and he had this, like, this spiel. I was like, man, this reminds me so much of Tremors. Like, and I was like, Tremors literally is a throwback to the 50s sci-fi mm-hmm. movie. And it was 1990, so it was that 80s carryover. Because the 50s and the 80s, I think, are like... They're, they're the nostalgia. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like the 80s were kind of... A lot of them were repping on the 50s, especially, like, Killer Con from Outer Space. And we had remakes and all that kind of stuff. Felt very 50s-ish throwbacks. The Bean. So, yeah, I would put Tremors in that. And I would put the desert setting as probably, well, Roswell and all that stuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's got to be with the science fiction movies. I think it might have been cheaper to film in the desert, too. Mm-hmm. People th- think that. But I don't know if that's 100% true. It's awful hot in the, in the day. It's awful cold at night. Uh, yeah, but the water. Yeah, but if you, you gotta look travel at, far. You don't gotta travel far. You been to California? LA to the desert's like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. That takes me a little more time to get to work because I piddle paddle at the gas LA station. LA to the desert. I don't think you can drive anywhere in California in twenty minutes. Yeah, maybe you not. can't even <laughs> get to the gas station in twenty minutes and a half a mile from the street. Anyways, uh, three and a half, seven out of ten for me. Um, I would probably give this like a four, maybe a four and a half if I watched it again. Um. 
I will say, I was a little bit let down with the alien design, because it really is just like a trash can with a bag over it. It's, it's better than, like a, it's a better than Sting of Death. I didn't see Sting of Remember Death. Remember the Jellyfish Man from William Oh, Buffet? yeah. It's better than Sting of Death. Oh, yeah. But not quite as good as um, The Thing for me. <laughs> it's the biggest spread. It's like, right. oh, I just did it to be funny. Here's Sting of Death. Here's the thing from 1982. And then here we got a... No, no, move that over closer <laughs> to this thing of death. That's way closer to this thing of death. Um, yeah, that's the rating. Monster. <laughs> we should do monster ratings. Right. The monster meter. Monster meter. <laughs> we start with Sting of Death by William Gerfay. <laughs> or or even... And then we end on the John Carpenter's The Thing. And everything else is in between. Right. Um, we should make that. The monster meter? Yeah. That'd be a good idea. So, um... Uh, Deadly Spawn is closer to the thing. Right. I don't like the thing's design, though, because it's not a concrete design. I don't know. We're doing the monster meter, and I'm already upset at you. I think the Xenomorph should be at the top. I think those look really cool. It's just an ant. It's <laughs> cool. Did you ever see Honey, I Shrunk the Kid? Yes, I did. Man, I cried when that ant died. I can't spoiler watch that movie. Yeah, spoiler for Spoiler from 35 years ago. <laughs> All right, next week is um, Hour of the Wolf, and then I, I think it might be Arsenic and Old Lace, and then it might be The Conjuring. And then so, Martin. No, I don't know. Martin and the Thirst are both in there, too. So I don't know what's going on. But I, wait, was I first pick? So I yeah, don't no, I don't know how many are left. There's like eight left. There's not eight left. Yes, there I is. I can't do this eight more times. I'll tell you that Stop right there. We're done. It's over. Okay, yeah, it is over. I'm done after this. <laughs> Okay, let's get into these questions. First, Todd E. Walnuts. Good stuff, Dave. How have you been? I've been good. How have you been? Check his channel out if you haven't. His comment will be right there on the video. Go ahead and click it. Check his channel out. He, he covers a lot of new releases and stuff like that as well. Travis Wright. It would be fun for you all to do the Godzilla movies. That that was a, the answer to the question. But he also asked a question. So if you had no electricity for three days, what would be the first movie you watched when the power came back on? I don't know. I probably would be so annoyed at everything. I couldn't relax when the power did come back on. I'd be like, oh, I gotta clean. I gotta, I gotta, I, I can finally make coffee pot again. I make coffee, co I can make coffee pot. I'm just sitting here making coffee pots, but you guys know what I mean. So I probably wouldn't be like jazzing to watch a movie right away if my power was off for three days. I'd be very annoyed. Uh, Jeff, uh, Bocant Champ, wait, Americans don't eat spaghetti in three piece suits while watching the Super Bowl? Uh, no, but uh, that's obviously a joke comment about absurd or aka horrible, uh, which we we're laughing about. And this is JK and uh, TE, or what is it? whatever his name is, JKT. My one question for people regarding a Serbian film is why would you watch it? Why would you subject yourself to simulated rape of a newborn baby? How is there anything uh, of worth or merit to be extracted from that? I just don't understand it. For me, it doesn't matter if if anyone was really hurt on the set or not, which I know they weren't. It's the notion of or intent. It'd be like a pedophile hangs around a school playground staring at kids but doesn't actually do anything. Would people be okay with that? I could find some artistic merit, like you said before, in some technical aspects of this film, but there's no redeeming features regarding uh, story, character arc, or the film's plot devices. I'm yet to find anyone a valid argument to why this is a good film. Interesting to follow it it's ongoing lifespan, though. I will say that uh, that much. And then we have a reply from Ilk Vomit. How is there anything uh, of worth or merit to watching someone get their throat slit or eyes gouged out? It all comes with the territory in horror films. And besides, you pretty much know more or less what you're getting yourself into before you dive headfirst into extreme film. First, I do think that there is an interesting aspect. I mean, like, I think that back in the day... I grew up watching a lot of horror films and extreme films, so I, I was definitely desensitized to that stuff, always knowing it's fake, always knowing that it's just a movie, right? But I do feel that a lot of the people that are jumping down Serbian films' throat were the same people that were probably jumping down Cannibal Holocaust's throat, and I think that Cannibal Holocaust is more... Um, 
worthy of jumping down its throat for the real-life animal mur murders in it. It's just so weird what people pick and choose to get so mad about. Um, I also feel like if this movie didn't garner, wasn't so well made, it wouldn't have garnered attention from the mainstream, and most people would have never even heard of it, because there is tons of extreme nasty movies that have subject matters that are awful like this, and people never mention them because they never ever heard of them. Um, but I do think that um, the character arc is very interesting, because we have Milos, who's a porn star, who degrades women on screen, so you're always kind of like, uh, you know, you don't really particularly care for him. And at the same time, he genuinely loves his family and wants to do the right thing. Um, so I feel like his character arc is interesting. He wants to make sure there's money and he has to be put into this horrible situation and he's always walking the line. I think that his brother is an interesting character constantly being obsessed with, you know, his brother's family and this weird kind of, uh, you know, obsession about it and stuff. I also think that, um, the main villain, the, not even the main villain, but the director is an interesting character that he is one of these people that has become so obsessed with film and art and everything that he's went next level insane. And he, his idea of art and creation and all that that stuff is completely manipulated in a in the sick things like that. And if you notice that um, the Raza, his main goon, has the film tattoo on his neck, you can just see that these guys were possibly film fanatics that have went to that next level of insanity. They're like the Frank of Hellraiser. Like nothing was ever enough. No no art statement was ever enough. And it's just a weird kind of thing to think about, honestly. And then they're being manipulated too. So it's a, it's just a weird kind of thing like that. I think there's lots of interesting characters in the film um i think that they do have character arcs um somewhat although i i'm not sure 100 percent if the director ever realizes what you know anything different from what he is um and, and also it, it's all fake like it, it's so weird that people are like I, i'm okay with them you know raping a woman over a rock for an hour and a half it, it, but the second it, i know it, it it's just it's weird it, it's so weird the the cutoff line and it's probably because the uncomfortability of it. it all makes me uncomfortable to a certain extent. Like, but I do like movies to have an impact on me and I will never jump down anybody's throat that doesn't want to watch this or anything like that. I completely understand that you want nothing to do with this movie you, and everything like that. And that's fine. But at the same time, you got to understand that some people, you know, they don't look at extreme films different. Also, I know that people like, Stephen Bureau that run on earth, they like to see things that mess with them. You know, people do like to get a response from the films they watch. They like to be disturbed or, and stuff like that. So I think there's a merit within that. Um, or the film's plot devices, the way the script structure is, is very unique. And the fact that he's going through and actually like finding the tapes and watching the tapes. And, and it, it's, I don't know. It, it's interesting too. Um, so there's lots of stuff to think of the movie. And also the soundtrack is good. I know you said only the technical aspects, but the, 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 the whole way that the script unfolds structurally and honestly that the people being like I can't see why anybody would want to watch this they just sound a lot like the people that were complaining about the video nasties in the 70s and I, I don't know I it's so weird to walk the line to be a very like I feel like I'm very accepting of so many people and I never want to hurt anyone's feelings or go about that um, but at the same time um, the same time it's hard to like, because I know films can upset people, but I'm completely against censorship, you know? So I'm always caught in a, in a between a hard place and a rock um, because I understand that the subject matter is bothersome to some people, but I'm against the censorship and I watch the weird stuff and the crazy stuff and I, I don't like real snuff or anything, a real animal deaths. But as far as a film is, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie, right? 
So then we have Nick Mua, question of the week. Since the past year has been such a downer, perhaps you and your brother from another mother, Jeremy, could cover horror comedies to spread some cheer. That is good um, because he's answering the question of the week, which I, I did. I mixed him up a little bit this week, so sorry. And then his question of the week. A lot of slashers seem to focus on younger people, teens, 20-something young adults, people in their early 30s, which are the, um, so okay, it says younger people, teen, teens, or 20-something young adults, people in their early 30s. Which of the above do you prefer? Would slasher featuring older people work? Um, homebodies is kind of a slasher featuring older people, a little different. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, older characters in some slasher movies. There is that, um, sometimes. I don't know. Um, lately slashers have not been very good for me, so I don't want to ever see any teen slashers made in modern times, to be honest. They just don't work for me. Um, sorry. I know that Final Girls is great because it's a parody or a take on the genre, but after Scream, it was really hard to make a slasher with teens and have anything decent in it there's a couple i like but um mix up the characters like i mix them up throw some different kind of you know people in there don't make them college kids like i, I was just thinking about like what if they we, we we talked about this before me and dustin and brandon what if in um zombie beavers instead of them killing kids it was them zombie beavers or slumberjacks better movie um then we have here, um, you once discussed the camera technique in Dario Gentis Tenebrae. I believe you liked it. I sure did. I love it. When does camera technique become too elaborate for you or rub you the wrong way? Um, it's mostly editing techniques or like whip pans that never stop and fight scenes. They kind of get old to me. But um, there's a, what's that, Kroshnoff? Um, what's the, um, geez, uh, it is a really crazy Russian film. I'm looking for it on the shelf. Uh, Kroshnoff, my car. The camera work in that movie, the, guy, the same guy did, um, the um the she's hard to be a god his camera work is show-offy but i love it so it, i don't know if, if 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 i can't get tired of his camera work i don't think i'll get tired of anybody's camera work as long as it's it's well done so um yeah no just because something's hard to do doesn't make it great but uh sometimes i'm sucked into the gimmick of how good it is or weird or crazy it is how do you feel salo 120 days of Sodom compares to a serbian film is one nastier than the other equally nasty Ooh, different. I think Sal is a little harder for me to watch um, because I feel like the pacing is slower, so maybe you get caught more into it, and it's more based on a real story. Even though in Serbian film that stuff does happen, but um, for some reason in Salo, like it's just I don't know. I I don't know. I remember watching it and being like kind of disturbed by it. It's been a long time since I've watched it. I really like the new arrangement of your collection. It seems gone forever and ever and ever. Mr. Kubrick would say, hope that the creepy old dude isn't hanging around Casa Parker anymore. Could have been a Romero type zombie. No, he was just some poor old guy. I wish I'd have never brought him up. David Leather, you guys seen Big Man Japan? We have not. I'll check. I'll look into it. And then answers I asked basically what you wanted me and Jeremy to cover for uh, after this blind spot. And I think we have a general idea what we want to do, but Ilk Vomit, I will always champion for you and Jeremy to cover the Godzilla franchise. Now I've heard practically everything there is to hear about every movie myself, but I haven't heard yours and his opinion, so something I would always want. Very cool. I definitely want to do them eventually. Peek and Boo, question of the week. Surprise us. Pick what you want, but if you find out the hentai tentacle anime Twin Angels from 1994, I think it went out of print for the third time three years ago, or I might have misunderstood your question if you met movie studios, certain genres. Okay, sorry again for the long text. Be safe. Okay. Zach Nolan, I wait on actual pins and needles for your preferred film fest. Please review The Haunting of Julia or Phantom Thread. Both I want to see. Um, then we have Jason Fetters. Universal Horror would be a great choice after Hammer Time. Personal, uh, Peter Engelin, um, G, uh, John Jacoz Anno's Quest for Fire and In the Name, the Name of the Rose. Samuel Fuller's Shot Quarter and Naked Kiss and a Big Red One. Um, yeah, I love the Big Red One. It's been years since I've watched it. I want, would have rewatched it, but I want to watch the extended cut, but only the regular cut is on Blu-ray. 
My hair is driving me nuts, if you guys haven't noticed. It's like at the right length to look crazy, man. I need a haircut, so I, I, I got to get one maybe next week or something. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to watch more Sam Fuller movies for sure. David Luton, Universal would be great, or make Jeremy watch classics like Psycho that he claims he's never seen before. And Jeremy responds, no, brother. Um, okay, so Derek B., he picks Apes, which we definitely want to watch the rest of the Planet Apes movies. Jeremy R., I get to pick the entire list, all stock. 52 films curated in my taste that would gradually shed light as to why I'm the monster you think I am and where my fate ultimately lies. Side note, I'm just going to, it's just going to be secret in them 52 times. John, Josh Hayes, how many Giallo, how about Giallo films? Segments like you did with Hammer Time, that would be sick. I would love to do that, but um, Giallo films bleed together a lot, so I feel like I would be... Um, getting plots, devices, and, and twists confused. Ron Monster drew, uh, he basically said do it and showed a Godzilla gif. Jonathan Wilhelm, gotta go through the Universal sets. Sean Donahue, fetish porn. I'm damn close at this point, right? I did the Nakatsu erotic films movies. I'll probably do more. I'm, I'm really close. I did the uh, Encounters of the Unknown. So then comments. Isimisio. Yep, I agree on the Serbian film. For me, the disturbing elements added to the narrative and isn't there just a shock value or fluff. It's a really well-made film which where you sympathize with the characters and their motives, especially towards the end when you wish it could worked out differently for them. Speaking of movies that seem to be disturbing for disturbing sake, I just watched Satan's Blood last night. Enjoyed the first half an hour, then it got weird towards the middle with the orgy scene and the oils. And the third act was just Hodge Project complete and other craziness. When the story hardly makes sense, it takes me out of it. If it does make sense and there are disturbing elements that help to illustrate the story characters, then I don't see a problem with it at all. You and Jeremy should review The Unholy Women 2006. I'm not sure if that movie is exactly Jeremy's taste, so my apologies, Jeremy. Haha. <laughs> it sounds it sounds interesting. Logan uh, Gaming 15. I love Serbian film. Simon Henderson. Awesome review of Serbian film, man. My most ex most extreme films are hard uh, to watch just because of production values, let alone the content, unless you're a fan. Also, much of these films are relatively hard to find unless you're a fan. Um, looks and sounds great. Uh, a Serbian film looks and sounds great, which I guess is part of the reason it sort of crossed over into the mainstream. It's surprising me how many people are aware of the film, but not new extreme cinema themselves. But make no mistake, this is one of the big dogs of those sort of films. I bet it left a lot of people feeling a little broken and dirty inside after watching it. I thought it was cool. Peekaboo, this episode, man, now you really need to print that pervert card, or maybe uh, Ichi, which is Japanese, it means the same thing. Holy water, or something. Never even heard of um, White Rose Campus before. Hides under bed in shame. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's a very mainstream movie. Agreed on Sersky film. It's a, a, a Serbian film. It's a masterpiece and so mean and nihilistic. Chaos, that line. Their first, she had two holes. Now she's got one big one. And the scene itself is just so sick. Great movie, though. Yeah, it makes me want to throw up. Um, they celebrate Christmas in Japan. It is more for friends to meet and party, whereas New Year's is the for the family. Here's how the Christmas can uh, be. Looks so cute. Then he posts a video. J Japan has adopted quite much from the USA after World War II. Halloween is popular there also for party and fun. Also, a lot of Japanese horror movies are inspired by the Western world stories, added with the special Japanese stuff to it. Adam Watson, cool, I love chaos. I mean, it's a brutal movie, but I think it's awesomely shocking and well-made. Uh, Domino D, while this is an extreme week, no doubt about that. I haven't ever seen a Serbian film, and I don't know if I ever will. It sounds like it has some aspects and sounds interesting, but it also uh, has aspects that I am not sure I can watch. Maybe one day. I do not want to check out... I do want to check out White Rose Campus, though. I am starting to watch more Asian cinema, and this sounds interesting enough. I am in a group that hated chaos. I don't remember why I hated it, but I just did at the time. Maybe I need to watch it again to see if my opinion has changed. Um... No, I do understand, like, I don't have kids, too. So, like, that, like I don't know. Maybe I'd feel completely different with Serbian film if I had kids. And I, I, I probably would. <laughs> uh, Replica Maze. Hey, I edited that White Rose Campus trailer. Thank you. Awesome. Rainbow Fox. Well, this guy's been going for eight years, and he's still going. What a legend. Uh, thank you. And then a a advice column, folks. Dude just loves to talk. And it's like, 
I guess so, right? Uh, Matt James. Homage? Come on, man. Chaos is a blatant uh, ripoff of Last House. That may, very well may be, but the, one of the producers on it was Junior from the original, and originally this movie started as a remake. Something happened where it had to be kind of a, a homage in his words, so I, I don't want to call it a ripoff because it started off as a kind of a remake, and I do feel it's more true to the spirit of the original than the remake itself is. So, yeah, um, yeah maybe it is a ripoff, but whatever. And then uh, Fidelio, he basically commented on the hostile review, and I want to kind of address this so people don't get the wrong idea. People were using, um, basically I complained about hostage using the uh, gay slurs. People were using that kind of language in hostile still when I was in high school and in my early 20s during the first half of the 2010s. My friend's 12-year-old nephew recently said to me after I recommended a video game to him that, nah, that's gay. So it's not like the young people still don't talk like that. It was totally accurate in 2005. It's bizarre you called it dated when you're on a podcast with three guys who've talked like that jokingly through most of their time on their pl this platform. Other than the whole portion of this video, which was so confusing to me, this is great content as usual. I appreciate that, but I just have to address this. Like, I feel somewhat hypocritical, to be honest, at times, because I don't use those words myself. And I there's people that I know that I'm friends with that do use the words in a joking way, more so even parodying it but i know that th those words can be hurtful to people and every time i hear someone use it i'm not offended i cringe and i'm i'm embarrassed like i'm like oh that's such it just it, it makes them sound dumb to a certain extent and i know like and it makes them seem like i don't want other people to get the wrong idea that they're hateful people and i know a lot of people do so it makes me think that man i'm a you know sometimes i feel like a hypocrite or an idiot for you know or for not saying anything and and i do understand that hostile it, it do people do talk like that maybe it's just a product of its time so much that you know it's just seeing like the main characters talk like that usually the people from the 80s like side characters talk like that maybe have one or two but anyways i like i said um I've never been one to be upset at what other people do. I just carry myself the way I do. Um, I, I just don't want to fight battles and especially burn bridges over something that I know is not somebody's intent, if that makes any sense sense maybe, maybe i'll bring it up i know that uh i do cringe every time i hear people use it and I, I know there's other people that use it in jokes and joking terms and stuff and i i've said you know jokes and things like that but i never use the words like that because i find them inappropriate and and all in general like i don't you know i, I it's just a strange thing to bring up and i like i don't want people to get the wrong idea so i i it's just a it's just a weird line to walk when you know you do a podcast and you joke around and people say things that you may find offensive or you don't want other people to misconstrue what they mean or how how they take it so you're like ah you know uh, you're almost like come on but at the same time you know that they don't mean it like that but other people don't see it that way and uh like i said it, it can be hypocritical at times like also it's like working in a work environment when you hear somebody say something that's just like inappropriate as hell but you just don't want to it's like being a coward you're like i don't want to bring this up or say anything because you know it's not, it's just life is miserable enough with not having to fight every three and a half seconds so i guess that uh call me a coward say i'm a hypocrite or whatever but it is what it is and i just wanted to address it because it does bother me that uh to a certain extent and, and like this is going to bring me into the question of the week um, because I know, um, that people do talk like that. It's just felt so weird. I guess maybe it's just too realistic at the time, uh, for, and, and it's, it's it, for hostile to sit, talk like that and have characters talk like that. But I just know that when I was in college, um, I was at a community college, a, a you know, dummy college, I guess, um, in 2006. 
and nobody really talked like that anymore. And I remember in like seventh, eighth grade, maybe sometimes in high school, it was brought up, but it kind of just faded out, especially with my friends now, like my friends I hang out in person, nobody really brings it up or says it anymore. Um, unless it's like parroting people that would say it. So it's just a strange situation to be honest. And I wanted to address it because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like I, I don't, I'm not ever trying to come across as a bigot or anything like that, but Hey, it is what it is. And I don't want people to see me in that light, but if they do, they will. Uh, anyways, I, and also I still do cringe. The first, first act of hostile, I cringe. Like it just is like, eh. and also the fact that like uh, Eli Roth, like defended it in the Fangoria magazine and did a really piss poor job of doing it, made him sound worse. And the idea that like, this isn't like your side character. This is like the main character. And there's also an aspect in there about one of the characters questioning his sexuality. So it makes sense that that would constantly be brought up. Boom, boom, boom. So he would feel even more uncomfortable with his friends and, and coming out to them. And they definitely do point that out in there. So I think maybe that, that um, it could be misconstrued in that film as well. But then he has Green Inferno, which came out like like twenty, like ten years after, and the characters that are supposed to be social justice warriors are talking like that too. So I'm like, I don't like, I don't understand. Like, I don't think that social justice warriors in 2016 talk like that at all. So, or, but anyways, it's supposed to be kind of a, a comment on them too, being hypocrites. Anyways, it's a touchy subject and it's a weird subject. And I just, I, I don't hold like movies like John Wayne saying stuff or, or Italian movies for being obviously, you know, hitting women and stuff, hold it against them because they're products of their time. And Hostel is a product of its time as well. And I won't hold that against its final rating or if it's a good movie or not, but I will bring it up that it does feel a little awkward in the first act for sure. And it just is like, it makes me cringe. So it's just like, oh, it feels very 2005-ish. I, I guess it just didn't, the first act didn't age very well for me. Well, the rest of the movie did age very well. So I uh, just the way it is. Um, so the question of the week is, is there any movie that is particularly dated in such a bad way it makes you uncomfortable? Now, this could be a lot of things like uh, just the, the way uh, characters are portrayed. If it's a 50s sci-fi movie where it's like all the all the female characters are basically, you know, secretaries or just in bikinis. not. Um, and I know that a lot of the 50s sci-fi movies were more progressive with it. They actually had like female doctors and stuff, which is cool. So any movie that is so badly dated, it makes you uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, like I said, I'm always one to be like, Hey man, those movies were made at a different time and you got to take that in consideration most definitely. So, um, but I'm just curious, is there any movie that's particularly dated in such a bad way? It makes you uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay. So let's start this out with the 4k. There's only one of them, but it's a biggie. It is demons one and two from arrow video. I love these movies. I, I got a t 4K TV coming Thursday. A QLED. I can't. I'm gonna probably watch something like Demons and Dawn of the Dead in 4K on the new TV. But uh, yeah, this is a 4K Ultra HD of one and two. I love it. I I love Demons. By the way, it's one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, then we have the Criterion Flash Sale. I don't know if I can zoom out enough to, to show this sucker. So there we go. I don't want to mess it up. But it is the um, Godzilla uh, Showa era films, 1954 to 1975. It's like a big book. A lot of people are mad about this. I think it's cool. I don't like these typically, these crazy um, editions, because they're always hard to store, and I'm worried about messing them up. But it's a cool, cool edition nonetheless. I'm going to leave it sitting down there and get back in track here. Sorry. You're going to be seeing Godzilla on the bottom of everything now. And then we have a Criterion that came. It was on Amazon. This wasn't from the Flash sale, but it's a uh, blow-up. 
Antonioni. Um, I know this movie's heavily inspir ins uh, inspired so many movies like uh, Blow Blow Out and uh, Deep Red and Dario Argento and stuff like that. So boom, definitely had to get that. Then we have uh, The Innocence from the sale. I, I kind of went crazy and just bought like a lot of the horror titles that I didn't have. So this one's uh, very popular. Got a good reputation. Then we have The Uninvited. Another classic. Next time I might go for samurai movies or something. Then we have Houseu or House, which I have on DVD. Never watched it. I hear lots of great things. Very excited to watch this one. This one has been on my want-to-watch list for years. And then we have War of the Worlds, the original classic movie, which I've never seen. It should have been on my blind spot. That's that's very embarrassing, right? And then we have Eyes Without a Face. Um, this is a great movie. We watched it for Blind Spot. It did not have the Blu-ray. Now I do have the Blu-ray. Um, yeah, Cat People. I've seen the remake. Enjoy it. But I've never seen the original. Um, can't wait. I bet it's great. I know it's great. I hear lots of good things. Then we have Seconds. John Frankenheimer movie. Always wanted to watch this one. Always sounded very interesting to me. Always had a great idea and concept behind it. And then we have the Bruce Lee set. Uh, finally, right? His greatest hits. Uh, Bruce Lee, I'm not super familiar with his movies, you know. Uh, but this has The Big Boss, The Fist of Fury, The Way of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, and Game of Death. Criterion putting out Bruce Lee. I love seeing that kind of stuff. But uh, the last Blu-ray, and then we're going to kind of dive down. I'm going to change the angle just because there's no room right now. Is the Pang Brothers film Recycled on Blu-ray. The Pang Brothers did the iMovies. So, yeah. And then we're going to kind of hop down here into some DVDs that I bought. Um, I got these at, from my friend. Pretty good price on them. Uh, this one I already have on Blu-ray, but it's Dead or Alive, the final. I have the Arrow set. Um, he hooked me up. Good deal on a lot of these. Very cheap. And then we have the MPD Psycho, um, the first uh, edition right here. What is this one? Volume 1, directed by Takashi Miike. They're all mixed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to mix these up. It would drive me nuts otherwise. Then we have uh, MB, uh, MPD Part 2. It's a TV series Takashi Miike did. Then we have Part 3, of course. All still have their slip covers. Very cool. I've never seen these. Very excited to check them out uh, if I ever have the time. And then we have The Way to Fight, which is, uh, I think it's a Takashi Miike film yet, too. Yeah. Tokyo Shock put this out. Then we have The Great Yoki War from 2005 by Takashi Miike. Whoa. Looks nuts. I know there's a two disc edition of to that, too. Then we have The uh, Agitator, another Mike movie. 150-minute international version, cool. And then last, we have Deadly Outlaw Rika, which is another Takashi Mike movie. In a gross blockbuster case. And then I went ahead and ordered one of the the $50 ship sets with 30 of these Asian movies again. And I got more doubles. I think I uh, should have probably just let it stay where I was at ahead.
but uh, here we go. So we got Red Wolf, Action Pack 2 disc set. Did not have this from the director Iron Monkey, so that was a good buy, I guess. There's one. Then we have Female Scorpion. Uh, Convict Scorpion already had that one, so uh, seems like a lot of doubles. Then we have like, Cut Sides. Uh, we have Lady Kusama Collection 1. Put them back in the box. Then we have Yakuza Hunters Final Death Ride Battle. I think I already had this one as well. So, like I said, I started getting a lot of doubles in this one. So I took to, I took a second chance. Lady plus Ninja Two. Then we have Samurai School School Be a Man. I think I got this one as well. So like I said, I probably only got a handful of new titles, but uh, it wasn't super expensive. Then we have Gojo, Inherit War Chronicle, Asano in here. Got that one last time too. Already covered that one. Then we have Id. Already had it. We have Family 2. Already had it. So maybe I'll do a giveaway for the patrons or something and you get a bunch of Asian movies. And then Kamikaze Taxi. Again, already had it. Um, in that last box, too. Then Death Bell, Bloody Camp. I think that one was in the last box, too. So it's like a lot of freaking repeats this time. But uh, it's okay. Tomy, Revenge, which I had, but I, it wasn't in the last box. I just had it. Um, and then we have Zaruichi, uh, Volume 1, which was in the last box. Terror Taxi, which I don't think I had. I might have had this, but I'm not 100% sure. It most definitely was not in the last box. Then we have Tomy, uh, The Beginning. So both Tomy movies are in here, which is cool. Uh, then we have Love uh, Ghost, which I did not have. I don't think so. So that's a good buy. Samurai Resurrection, which I don't think was in the box. But it gets very hard when there's 30 titles with Samurai in it. This one was definitely in the box. Samurai Chicks. My arms aren't long enough. Uh, Black Angel 2 in the box last time. Ugh. Uh, Kiri in the box last time. This one was not in the box, but I do have it, but I did not have the deluxe edition here. This is Witchboard, the really heavy double disc edition, so that's a good buy. Very cool. And uh, what else do we have here? Saddam the Killer. I had that one last time. Or Sodom. And this one as well. The Dimension Travelers. This one, I think, was in the last box. End Call. And then this home stretch here, we have Shinobi, which I think was in the box. Gun, uh, Gun Crazy, A Woman from Nowhere, which I don't think was in the box, but I think I do have it. And then Jungle Juice, which was in the box. How could I forget Jungle Juice? And Shinobi, A Way Out. 
um, which I think was also in the box. So like I said, I got like five or six titles, maybe more, maybe 10 I didn't have. So it's not too bad of a loss, but uh, yeah, let's hop back to the video. Okay guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Mm.